Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, transphobia, mental health, ableism, religion, bullying, and being misgendered. Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. So meowdy everyone, I am gender meowster. I use they them pronouns and I will let my guest introduce herself. Per with a P. Hi everyone, my name is Nick. I'm 33, almost 34 next week actually. I use a pronoun they, them, and per pers. I work in quality control in call center. I'm fluent in French and English, and it's a very it's an honor to be here with you all. I'm very excited to talk about what it's like to be a little bit older and being queer, what was pre-internet, and why it's important to have a bridge between older people and younger people. I also had a very nasty cold last week, so my voice is a little croaky. I'm very sorry. But, and I tend to speak a little fast when I'm nervous, so we'll try to slow down to make sure everyone can understand me. And my interests are TV shows. I adore book binding, different fan fiction that I like, and I adore video games. Nice. Do you have a, a favorite video game or like a top three if one is not enough top three would be ocarina of time i grew up playing this game in my in my room for hours on ends i really liked pokemon also i used to play on my game boy color with the cable so we could exchange pokemon so i've been playing this these game for a long time and recently stray just shot up in my top three nice. it's a very recent game just got released but i yeah. played it and i passed it in one day and i adored it it's a gorgeous game super fun to play and beautiful graphics that's awesome how many hours did it take you to complete stray mm, probably a day the full day and we were like two people passing around the remote control nice. so i wasn't the only one playing sometimes i had issue with some steps of the game so i would pass the remote control to my friend who do the, these parts and then i'd grab the remote again and do all the looking for clues stuff and he'd fight the monsters so we had a good team going on that sounds so fun. I also acquired Stray recently. I haven't tried it yet. I'm saving it for stream, but I, my schedule's full, so I have to wait two weeks <laughs> to try it out. I'm like, oh no. But, oh, that's so fun. I love that. I've even seen like the modding community, our modding, pick the color of your cat and cat fart. <laughs> yeah, communities are amazing. They're, they help develop stuff like that. I did see that you could customize, so that's something I'll look into because I would love to play with my cat. <laughs> Yeah, so fun. I love it. Awesome. I'm so grateful that you're here, Nick. You were recommended to us by Lexington, aka Trans Griffin. And it's so fun to have you here on the show. I'm very excited to be here. I I love participating in projects like this as 
we'll see when I talk a bit more later about it. I've been always involved with queer project. I've always been volunteering for queer causes. So I'm very happy when Inkseton reached out and asked me if I would like to be here. And I said, gladly, I would love to be here. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So I have a couple questions that I typically will ask all of my guests. The first one is, what are some things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be trans one day? The best story I have with this is I was very tomboy when I was a teenager. I would wear boys clothes. I would tie my hair in buns because I couldn't have short hair. So I would tie my hair so they would be hidden and would wear hats all the time and trying to be as masculine as possible. And when I turned 17, my mother sat me down and told me I needed to dress as a girl because I was a girl. So I decided I would become the most pink thing that ever walked on earth. I just started to become the personification of the pink color from my hair to my clothes to the stuff around me to the color of my room. Everything was pink everywhere. I say, here you go, mother. I have done as you wished. <laughs> I am now the pinnacle of femininity. But I was just a way of trying to confirm and but in a snarky way, which just mm. I would my name was Pinky back then. I requested my mother call me Pinky and I was very it was excessive, the pink thing, but <laughs> it was my way of rebelling against this opposition. You need to dress a certain way and act a certain way. And I I did not enjoy that at all. So I rebelled rebelled in my own way. Yeah. I feel like that's so gender to be like, I'm gonna overdo it. I'm going to I'm going to out feminine you and it's going to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, at, one, at my 18th birthday party, they were kidding because everything was pink. They even pull up like pink sheets on the wall. Mm. Mother was like, I can't find my daughter. She's hidden in all the background. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's it. You get it. Now you get <laughs> what I was trying to do. That's awesome. What's your favorite color now? It's still pink. Actually, I kept Pinky. When I changed my name, it became my middle name. So I still nice. have the name Pinky to this day. And so it's not something that I ever let go. Gender has no color, has no gender. I still stand by this and pink. I am pink. I'm bright. I'm shiny. I like to have fun. So pink is a great color for me. I love that. That's so nice. Trans Griffin <laughs> says malicious compliance at its finest. <laughs> exactly. That's a great word to define me, malicious <laughs> compliance. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. Yeah. So how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Like clearly you're now this they per being. Yeah. Tell us more about your journey from there to now. Yeah, it went from extremely feminine to rejecting gender completely on the full scale Whereas I, I actually moved because I grew up in the French province of Quebec. And in French, everything is a gender, female or male, everything. There's mm -hmm. no it, there's no they. So it, it was a great cause of dysphoria. We, we, it was dysphoria of being constantly misgendered. So I moved out of my French, my French environment to an English environment. And then I started to evolve more with they, them pronouns, starting to let go of the binary and identifying more as NB and non-binary and trying to, even with my surgery and my process with testosterone, I really wanted to be as androgynous as possible. 
And I arrived with her purse because I was talking with an older friend of a friend, we'll say, that was saying, oh, I can't never wrap my head around they, them. And just as a stroke of genius, I just looked at them and I said, you wouldn't be able to handle my pronouns because they're per purse. And that person's jaw just fell on the floor and they just looked at me with huge eyes. And I just, I was so proud of that moment of really shocking them into realizing, hey, you have it easy with they, them. So that was my first time I actually used per purse. And I really liked the idea of advocating for just pay them by shocking people or by making them realize pronouns are important and you need to be able to understand slash use them. That was my journey with purse. I still use it a lot on the internet. I've moved back to my French family, my French province. So that's something that I had to let go, sadly, because I had to go back with male pronouns. Um, so that's even something we need to consider to like language. That's something that dysphoria within the language is something I never realized before I came back here. I spent so long in the English living world that when I came back here, I had this shock of, I can't use my preferred pronoun here. Like, how am I going to do? And it's always this constant conversation of like, my pronouns are he, him, and please respect that. It's constantly trying to advocate for my own gender. And it's something I do willingly and gladly because it's important. You need some people that stand up for everyone. And I'm that kind of person that will stand up and speak out loud for everyone because I believe we have to help each other and build bridges. Yeah, it's been really powerful. This The Discord community that sort of sprung up because of the gender master thing that I've been doing on Twitch. It really got into the swing of things during COVID and the pandemic. And I went hard in making that community space because I wanted a place for all of the gender diverse people who maybe had just gone to college and then they had to go right back home because of stay at home and all of just taking care of ourselves by social distancing. And so it was just like, Oh gosh, let's make an online space for people to be like trans and genderqueer and queer because maybe they have to go back in the closet. There was just a, the opposite of an exodus. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. COVID has certainly thrown a ratchet and so many plans that I had, so many things I wanted to do. And, and it almost impacted my surgeries too, which was very stressful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both my wife and I had gender confirmation surgeries during the height of the pandemic. The pandemic is still happening, by the way, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Please wear your masks, but we have a vaccine now. So if you're listening to this and it's been 10 years and you don't know where we are on the timeline of things, like by now, most of the people have access to vaccines. Now, if people are choosing to take them or not is a totally other conversation, but those who want them can have them now. That's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next question I see here, I imagine Lexington wrote for us, perhaps. How did volunteering impact the way you life? I started volunteering when I was a kid. My grandmother used to volunteer at this thing called Foy Lumière. It was a very Catholic thing. I grew up in a very Catholic family. And it was basically for disabled people that would like to do pilgrim in this basilic that we have near where I grew up. And my grandmother would use to bring me because I was this cute kid that would love to play with anyone slash everyone. It didn't matter to me if you were neurodivergent or if you had physical handicaps. It didn't matter to me. I was friend with everyone. So my grandmother loved to bring me around because I was just a sunshine person. And everyone loved to see me run and scream and have fun and play with everyone. So uh, very starting very young, I was introduced to the benefits and the impact of volunteering, especially in 
for me, my introduction, of course, was with disabled people. And then I started to grow up. And then I did Katimavik, which is a youth program in Canada where they send you during nine months during in three different provinces and you do volunteering. So I was working somewhere. For example, when I was in New Brunswick, I was working for a hospice. During the day, I would work at the hospice and then we'd go back home. We were 12 people living together and we'd go on road trips and would explore. So this youth program really opened my eyes to even more the importance of volunteering, but more the communal level. So before I'd see it on just more close circle with just disabled people, but that opened my mind to, hey, there's more than disabled people that need your help out there. And it really opened my eyes to all the different struggles that were around us. As someone who grew up very privileged, it was very eye-opening to see, hey, lots of people can use your then when I started to work I was part of LGBTQ committees as much as I could I worked for TELUS and I was part of their spectrum which is the LGBTQ group I loved being part of this it was volunteering so on top of my work I did that too something else again volunteering and then as I started my transition I helped build a line for youth queer youth called QChat space in British Columbia. It was basically in Canada. If you were a queer youth, the youth line couldn't handle specifically just the queer youth. Some people created a helpline just for the queer youth of the West of Canada. And I helped build the line and I helped uh, create all the, how you would well, called the call flow. So how you talked to when people call you, because I have background in call centers, that was kind of stuff that they needed, someone who knew how to handle call center stuff. So I helped build that and it was really interesting. So I've always been volunteering. It's always been part of my life and it's something I will continue to do. And it's something that as much as I can, if I, you can just remember one thing from me today, it's go volunteer. It's find a cause that you like, find a cause that you enjoy and go spend your time there because you'll meet amazing people and you'll create such a great community around it. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. So you have a multitude of identities that you have mentioned. So not only are you gender diverse, but you also identify as asexual. Can you tell us more about why it's important to talk about asexuality? Of course. When I was a teenager, I said that I was broken. Actually, from 14 to 24, I used to say that I was broken. All my relationship would break down. I couldn't identify with people around me because sex was not interesting. Slash, I didn't have that feeling. Slash, I wasn't really repulsed by it, but I didn't have, the, I didn't seek it out. I didn't. For be, I wasn't forward with it. So it was really hard for me to understand why I was the way I was because I didn't have any resources. I never heard the word asexual until I was 24. Never heard that word before. The closest I heard was spinster, which is not even close to what asexuality really is. So that was my first time I was on Tumblr and someone talked about the Avon Forum. And that was for me the way that I finally came into and I was able to put a label on what asexuality was, which is which helped me, which helped me stop saying that I was broken because I'm not. It was very important to me to find the word to help me say instead of broken, now I can say asexual. Yeah. 
And asexuality is a spectrum too, right? Yes. There's so many different bits within asexuality. So how did you discover your own? So you mentioned the Avon Forum. Is there any other, yes. were there any other breadcrumbs or clues along the way that kind of helped you out? No, that was really, when I was on Tumblr, I literally said always, I'm broken. And mm. when I saw on Tumblr, someone said the Avon Forum, and I was like, what is that? And then I clicked on it and it was asexual. And I was like, what is that? And I started to read because I'm very curious. So, of mm -hmm. course, I started to read. And when I saw the definition, I was like, oh, my God, this is me. That's mm -hmm. me. There's people like me. And I saw the number of people on that forum. And I was like, I'm not alone. So it was such like a lightning strike. I'm not, I'm not broken. I'm not alone. It was such a revelation. And it was such, for me, such a game changer. It really mm -hmm. helped me a lot. Yeah. Yes. How has ACE representation changed over the years and what should change now? Like what's happened so far and what are the next edges of evolution? It's been up and down, honestly. I've seen highs, I've seen lows. Of course, we can't talk about asexuality without aphobia, of course, something that is rampant. Might it be people that say that asexuality doesn't exist? You need to have therapy, you need hormones, you need someone to fix you, you need someone, you haven't met the right person. So there is a lot of challenge on the side of being accepted. And on the other hand, I've had some other people tell me, I wish I was asexual because during the height of the pandemic, can't meet new people, can see anyone. So jokingly, people would say, hey, I wish I was ace because I wouldn't have to worry about hookups and stuff like that. So it goes to both ways where you have the negative bad stuff and then you can see some light hey yeah that's right i didn't have to worry about that about the pandemic i i was i didn't mind i was fine i was alone it didn't matter i had my blanket i had my stuffies i was enough for me so it's been a very long ups and down and there's even, I've seen erasure of the ace culture. That's something I'm going to touch on a little bit later. For me, that was a huge blow because the ace community used to be very thriving on Tumblr. There used to be all these amazing signs to recognize each other. And that got striked down with the pipeline from acephobia to transphobia. How it is easy once you step into the hate to keep on dwelling into the hate. Mm. So I've seen a lot of, I've seen acephobia as a stepping stone toward the more intense transphobia that we see today. I see it as that's where the root of the evil started. That's how I see it. Interesting. And I'm also curious about Tumblr as a platform. It's definitely something that I think people in their 30s and maybe 40s yeah. are like really into. Mm -hmm. I'm also I'm about to turn 33 next week, so I think I'm about a year younger than you. But I don't think I have a Tumblr account, or if I do, it was like one I made in high school for a minute. And then I stopped using it. So I wonder like what the ACE communities are like on other platforms. Like mm -hmm. I know that Reddit, for example, has ACE spectrum spaces. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like my Discord server in particular is pretty ACE friendly because we're safe for work. Mm -hmm. A lot yep. of queer spaces are very like horny on main and it's a lot. It's like, yep. Y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> tone it down a little bit. We're still sex positive, but it's also, but also keep it safe for work here because a lot yep. of people are on the ACE spectrum. I feel especially 
So my wife is trans femme and she's had her bottom surgery, which she's, we've documented it on YouTube. Like it's way out there. So I'm not like outing her or telling her story that she hasn't already told publicly, but it has definitely landed her more in the A spectrum because not only did she lose testosterone with the removal Mm -hmm. of some body parts she didn't need anymore, um, but she also like it's taken a couple years for the nerve endings to even start working at all down there. Mm. And she's been this sort of demi a something kind of flavor for a while. Mm. And I think it's important to talk about that's normal, that that's a thing that can totally happen (laughs) for the trans masculine folks on HRT. Sometimes you get less ACE than you were before. That's also real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> won't go too much into details because I don't want to squick anybody. But yeah, it's fascinating how not only sexual identity, but also like sex drive can change over time within transitioning. So and why? So how does one find community with other East people now? Like we mentioned a couple of platforms, but I wonder if there's yes. some other resources you have in mind you'd like to share. For me, Tumblr was because the downfall of LiveJournal. Mm-hmm. Life journal is old. <laughs> so Life Journal when that crashed down, I moved to Tumblr and that's where mainly I found my community. That was I'm still on Tumblr, I'm still very active. Even the link I sent to promote is for my Our Flags Mean Death blog. So I'm very active on there. I adore Tumblr. For me, it's a lack of algorithm on there. So compared to any other platform you don't have an algorithm pushing some random stuff at you it's just people that you follow the stuff they post that you see which is amazing and it's in chronological order which is scratches an itch in my brain that is uh, very peculiar to find a community it's also important to think about real life it's important to go out and to have connection with real people i know we talked a lot about community online but it's great i have a big community online for diverse interests slash exactly like your Meowster Discord. So I have different online community, but it's also important to have real life community, to have people around you. And I know when you're younger, it might seem impossible or hard or it's never going to happen to you, but it will. It takes time, but it will happen. The connection will come. You will meet people that are like you. You will build a community and surround yourself with people that think like you, have the same value as you, and see their life the way you see it. It is something that you have to keep in mind when you're young, because I was distressed when I was younger. that I wouldn't find that community. I would never find people that were like me, broken I was thinking back then, but I never dared to hope that I would find a family, a community, a circle of friends that I would be comfortable to be myself with. But it happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. You just have to build it. You just have to work for it. But it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. So we just bought a house in April and had a housewarming party. And it's like the first gathering we've had in years because COVID and all of that. And half of the party was like my wife's software engineer coworkers, and half of the party are my like queer and trans friends of various flavors. And then there's this little bitty intersection of the coders who are also trans. There was two or three of those also at the party. And so it was just like so fun to have tens people in my house all at the same time. Wow. It's so common to have <laughs> trans coding people. Like I know a couple too. It's definitely, it's a real thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. So I feel like folks on the ACE spectrum have a, like a very specific culture. Like I've yes. seen plenty of memes about asexual mm-hmm. and like 
garlic bread comes to mind. Can you talk a little more about what is ace culture like for those who are uninitiated in the silliness? <laughs> of course, the first thing that comes to mind is cake is better than sex. That was the first <laughs> asexual meme I've seen on Tumblr. It had the, it was a cake with the asexual colors, so gray, purple, white, and black. The other thing that I saw later was the black wings, black ring, sorry. So wear a black ring on your index, your ring finger. Yes, sorry. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's this word in English? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so wear a black ring on your uh, ring finger was a way to identify ice people. I did wear a black ring for at least five years before it fell out of people didn't know what it was anymore and mm-hmm. it even fell on Tumblr. So Sadly, retired my black ring. There was also dragon, everyone like dragon, hoarding stuff and things like that. And one thing that also fell out of use that I'm very sad about is use the ace of each uh, suite of card to identify yourself as ace. So, for example, if you wear a spade, an ace spade, you're asexual, sex repulsed. I can't remember all of them at the top of my head, so don't quote me on these. I re- those I recall were spades and hearts. A spade was asexual, a sex repulse, and heart was asexual, but not sex repulse. So mm-hmm. the two of the suites, I can't remember. But that was widely used. Like you would go on someone's profile on Tumblr and you would have ace of heart or ace of spades. So you would know right away it was a coded language for us just easily identify each other's as asexual and also fail out of favor and something I find really sad. I think on my Tumblr, I still have it on my personal Tumblr, the main artsy Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure I still have Ace of Heart because it's a little piece of asexual history I want to keep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. So, so many evolutions of things. It just keeps yep. going. So what was it like to grow up as a queer kid before the age of the internet? It was... Well, it was different for sure. I play outside more. I had to find ways to entertain myself more. And we grew up very poor, so I had to make do. I read a lot. That was my way to escape, create my own world. It was my way to find subtext and make my own stories. I also wrote a lot. I adore to handwrite. Even to this day, I still handwrite a lot. I do journaling and mm-hmm. bullet journal. So writing and reading have been my escape, the way that I forged my own universe, my own little world, when I grew up in a very heteronormative society, in a very neurodivergent and friendly world, too. Yeah. And even hand wrote the questions that we decided on I for did. today. <laughs> I did. I wrote all my answers. So each question I have the question and then in a different color I have their answer. So yeah, I'm I just love to write. When I was in high school I thrived. I had my huge pencil cases filled with all the rainbow gel color you can think of. And my diary was always full of glitter pen everywhere. So I've always been I've always loved handwriting. Yeah. What can we learn from queer people who grew up without the internet? The importance of having an IRL community. It can be a little, you can tend to isolate yourself if you're only online, but it's important to have people that you can meet, that you can feel their energy, that you can create either activism or that even help your community volunteering. 
I think that older generation were more active into activism that we are. They were more in the street than us. Of course, they won battle that we don't have to win today. But I think there's a little lax there where we're not as vocal about our rights than they were. It's different. We can yell in a void on the Internet, but they were out on the street. They were out fighting. So I really admire the older generation for that. Yeah. What is special among the queer generations that grew up or are growing up during the age of the I think that it's so great that you have access to all these things. I started to transition when I was 30. I discovered I was sexual when I was 24. I didn't have words. I didn't have community. Just in high school, now people have queer a group like we, I didn't have that in high school. I barely had that when I was in college. It was starting, it was basically the gaming group was the gaming slash queer group. That was the unspoken rule, if you'd like. But we didn't have any kind of resources that the younger generation have today. And I'm so glad that they do. And I would fight any day for them to have access to everything that they have. I do not want any younger person to go through what I went through, never. So I'm very happy that the younger generation have such an easiest access, more open-minded parents, more open-minded teachers, more open-minded environment to support them. Yeah. So our our friends in the Twitch chat are having a side conversation about yep. the phrase amato normativity or allo normativity. And so they're defining amato as the assumption or amato normativity as the assumption that everyone is better off with a romantic and or sexual partner. And they're saying yep. that amato comes from the Latin word Interesting. So there we go. Yes. <laughs> New world of the day. <laughs> word of the day. It is. That's funny. Actually, I saw my aunt yesterday and she was my inspiration growing up because she never had kids and she was constantly pressured. And one day I must have been, I was like eight or nine or 10, like very young. And she told me, if you don't want kids, tell people you can't have kids because they'll remember it. And they won't ask you about it. Don't say you don't mm -hmm. want kids you don't, can't have kids so very young I understood hey yeah society and even my mother pressured me so hard to have children she that to this day she is mad and she deeply hates me for not having children because that's what she wanted me to do I was the firstborn, so my tasks was to give her children oh so, yeah it's very entrenched it's very perverse in my opinion that everyone must have children in the climate that we're in today yeah yeah. I had, as an older person, I have friends who have children and I've heard them say, if I could go back, I wouldn't have kids. Okay. One, the planet's already overpopulated. Two, you could always just either never partner or partner with another trans person who's sterile and then it's not an option. Three, it's expensive. It's Having so expensive. Kids is incredibly expensive. Like just to live somewhere, like buying a house is impossible now. Rent <laughs> is sky high and it's impossible to find places to live. Like it's just, I look at everything might be so, might be money wise, might be social wise, might be mm -hmm. earth wise. To me, I wouldn't want to bring a child in this world personally when I look at stuff. 
children in this economy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you need a polycule of seven people to just buy a house. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> so funny. What was queer representation in media like pre-2010s? It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be frank. I have one example in mind. When I grew up, I watched this show called You South. It was a Mm -hmm. Canadian show where a Mountie goes to Chicago and he started investing all these crimes. And he's a very square dude. He says, thank you. He opens the door. And of course, he has Canadian money, which is different colors. So they're all always in awe of him. And the ending is open-minded where he leaves with his longtime detective partner from Chicago and they both leave into the wild mushing away with dogs so that's the ending of the show It's very open are they not and that was the only example that i that came to mind to me where i saw some queer rep and it was well handled like i did look back on it later i did um, some research and uh, brendan fraser the guy that actually played the mountie did say that he wanted to have this touch of will they won't they so there was some bad rep but there were some little things that started to appear i'm not an expert because as i said i grew up in quebec the french part and we have a very different culture than the rest of Canada and even America. So the other thing that I have wouldn't be comparable to anything you would know. And in a way, I can't think of anything else. The only thing I have in mind would be Due South as like older, maybe Sailor Moon. Yeah, I used to read the Sailor Moon manga. And then mm-hmm. I watched a TV show and I was like, what is, what, what happened? What happened to the relationship? It was especially back then, it was so censored. And yeah, Sailor Moon and that TV show. But aside from that, mm, it was mostly transphobic joke, come off a big joke. I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure y'all can think of plenty of example. <laughs> yeah. And then the counterpoint is the next question. Yeah. What are some positive means of queer representation these days? That's amazing because I can talk about my special interest. Our flags mean death. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier with my blog, Our Flags Mean Death is a new TV show. It's a parrot rom-com staring Riz Darby and Taika Waititi. It is queer. It's amazing. It's the best show I've seen since What We Do in the Shadow, which is another Taika Waititi project. I, it's my special interest. I am obsessed with this show. I am obsessed with Vico Ortiz, which is a non-binary actor mm-hmm. from this TV show. The, it's just so great. It's a love. It's a queer love story. What's not to love about it? And it's such... Even the community is amazing. The actors are amazing. They're all humble because they did not expect the show to be this. Because it's such a beautiful queer show, people just went through the roof with love with it. It was best streaming episode for seven weeks in a row. It was just people word to mouth just made the show explode. And I was very impressed with how the cast reacted to it, how they handling, how they're talking about their characters and what they want to do about it. Also, I want to mention David Jenkins, the creator of this show, who also did another amazing show called People of Earth. Only had two seasons and was canceled. Another amazing show with queer representation. So nowadays we and that's not even touching animation. Um, of course, there's so many queer representation in animation, maybe mm-hmm. Shira. I can't even think. Owl, Howl House. Uh, I can't name them all. Nowadays, children cartoons is amazingly diverse and representative of so many different gender and sexual identity. So, uh, Steven Universe, I'm going to forget some of them. And... <laughs> 
So let's stop naming some before I omit some of them. <laughs> but yeah, animation, Brick and Morty. Okay, I have to stop. But yeah, yeah, there's just so much amazing representation nowadays. And I'm so happy that people can see this instead of seeing what we saw. A terrible homophobic joke and transphobic mm -hmm. joke. Okay. I'm very happy that we've moved past that and we can create amazing queer content that is showing up on my TV and in the movie theaters. That's not something I would ever, you know, when Brokeback Mountain came back, they made more fun of it than they actually told it for what it was. It was an amazing, it was groundbreaking. I know nowadays we look at it and we always see its flaw, but when it came out, this movie was very dear to me. It was amazing to me. It was personal. It was, I saw myself in the story, but the way it was handled because it was early 2000s. It was just so bad. It was. Yeah. 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 Lex says, I still haven't seen Brookback Mountain. I don't know if you need to see it. I don't know if you do. You might not need to. Nick, how can queer representation be made better in the future? Where's our growing edges? I think that it would be by getting out there by writing those stories, by creating those comics, by creating the content and putting it out there. It's not only to create it, but it can be hard sometimes to put yourself out there, to put your art, to put your writing, to put your songs, no matter the media that you use, it's important to try and get it out, to make an impact around you. And that's how we're gonna have our voices heard. That's how we're gonna get representation i think it's by doing it ourselves yeah that's part of what this show is doing right yes. it's like we have over a year's worth of episodes that we've made once a week and i would tag on that i've seen a lot of big studios make queer content i haven't seen a ton of bipoc queer content so there needs to be more intersectionality in the representation there's some out there but there's not a ton so that is one thing that I would love to see some growth around is that. I would also love for there to be so many shows with LGBTQ representation that we can no longer list them because they're basically in every show. Like, yep. Like, what if? And another thing that I'm a bit miffed about is that all the queer story most of we're having right now are about teenagers. And I, I don't identify with those. That's why Brokeback Mountain is still number one for me because that's older people. And that's why our flags mean that shut up to top number best thing ever because it's two older men falling in love and discovering what it's like to be queer. And mm -hmm. we don't get that older people can find love, can be queer and be free. It's mostly see younger people coming into their sexuality slash queerness. Mm -hmm. So that's something I would like to see a bit more is older people coming into their queerness or yeah. older people queer stories. You want to see the lesbians that have been married to men for 50 years and then got divorced and met their yes, new partner part in the retirement home or something. And, yeah. you know, the trans people that came out and they're on their second marriage. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that, All of we that. need those stories. We need to... So people, older people can see, hey, because we keep saying it's never too late, but we need to show it to, we need to put it into media, to put into our stories, into our narratives too. Not only the young white cis boy will find his queer love, we've seen those stories, can we expand on something else? Yeah. 
Okay, so moving on to the topic of intergenerational trans connections, what would you say is queer eligibility? What does that mean? I'm not sure. That's not a term I've heard before. I would say, for me, I think what comes to mind is that whole gatekeeping of are you trans if you have dysphoria Mm. versus no dysphoria? Gatekeeping. Yeah, gatekeeping. Mm. That's what came to mind when I heard queer eligibility. I'm not a fan of gatekeeping. I'm not a fan of of stopping anyone from entering, well, except bigots. No, that's not true. Okay. Of letting anyone who's identifying with the community, why would you shut that down? Because everyone wants support. Everyone wants community. And there's already enough people against us. Why would you put your own people against you? So let's Mm -hmm. just be open-minded, live and let live, and be supportive of each other. Yeah. The thing with... And identity is that sometimes your understanding of your identity can evolve over time. And so someone might be identifying as an, as like a cis ally one day. And then three to six months later, realize like, oh, this thing and this thing was dysphoria and not just something else or not even dysphoria, but, oh, actually I don't feel cis anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to leave room for those people who are still exploring and questioning, sometimes referred to as eggs, to have space in the community. Yeah. I have a great example for that. So my neighbor is already pretty, she's an elder lady. She's amazing. I love her so much. But her mother is even elderlier, (laughs) but they're both still, they're very close in age. She had her pretty young. And her mother is, I would say she's a trans man egg. Because when she learned that I'm going to still use pronoun she because that's how she identifies, she was so jealous of my top surgery. And she was mm-hmm. so jealous of the fact that I was taking testosterone. And I looked mm-hmm. at her and I said, don't you think that you're trans? What you're saying is stuff that I used to say before I transitioned. And mm-hmm. it's stuff now that I don't have to deal with now that I have transitioned. Have you ever considered? And it was such a shock to her. She never even thought to see it that way i'm the one who said hey what you're saying sounds a lot like an egg to me no you're almost 75 but hey here's where we're at right now you sound like me you do you sound like a trans man and i think she would never would have seen this without me saying it that hey not that it's not normal but what you're saying is a common experience to something i have she would just she was thinking it's some an abnormal thing that i want to have when i would say it's not abnormal you know how you want to present is how you want to present but hey just so you know (laughs) yeah and when you get up into the age of people who are old enough to have two generations behind them so you may not actually be a grandparent but if your grandparent aged there's a lot of health conflicts that can come along And sometimes older trans folks can't medically transition if they are starting at age 75. And I've also met either closeted trans people or like non-transitioning trans people who are like, I can't get to where I want to go transition wise, so I'm just not even going to start. And there's so much grief and loss and like sorrow around that. And that's why it's important to differentiate gender orientation, gender presentation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was trying to explain to her. I said, hey, even if you can transition medically, you can still present as a man. Yeah. That's not something that is can be taken away. And she was like, what is gender presentation? So I was like, yeah, (laughs) let me teach you something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And you can socially transition without medically transitioning. Yes. Yes. It's good. It's good to have all these 
like all of this nuance yeah. and I feel like perhaps that is one of the powers of the queer youth of today is because we have yeah. this international ability to connect mm -hmm. we're having these really nuanced gender conversations at a speed mm -hmm. that like scientists can't keep up with <laughs> yes it all went so quickly and I it's nice to see it evolve and I personally like the more label I can have, the more easier I can explain what's going on or explain a concept to someone or educate someone with mm -hmm. specific wording or label that are getting more and more mainstream. Hey, not so long ago when we talk about being bisexual, that's something that we're still starting to hear pretty recently before that was just the butt end of a joke. But so the more we get these terms normalized and in, in mainstream, the more we can be ourselves and then educate and help other people to come to their true selves too. Yeah, it's one of the one of the pieces that I've been learning over the last year or so is the difference between like sexual attraction and like romantic attraction and mm -hmm. how you might be sex repulsed but still love romance. And so there's mm -hmm. all of these layers within asexuality that I think allosexual folks just have no idea how many pieces yep. there are that go into that. And I think allo and asexual people benefit from knowing the, that nuance because maybe wow i really want to be a romancer i don't really care about the romance part we could just watch tv and eat popcorn i don't need flowers or whatever like it's so cool to to have all of that the detail i've been feeling quite a niche i'm a dumb and i've been dumbing other ace people and that's mm -hmm. been something that i've discovered that Having a safe place to practice BDSM when you're asexual is something mm -hmm. that can be hard to find. Yeah. So I've been very out there and vocal about dumbing without having the aspect of sexuality. There's tons of stuff that you can do when you dumb that isn't necessarily sexual. So mm. that's another thing I've been less here because let's keep this friendly, but PG-13. But yeah, that's something I've been advocating. And it's not only for sex. It can be a great way to connect or to treats anxiety. I had some friend who had fibromyalgia that would do some BDSM and it would relieve their pain. The whole nother worm, but yes, it's very fluid. It's incredibly fluid. Yeah. We have a question from the chat. What is allosexual? Would you mind answering that for us? Of course. So asexual is someone who doesn't have the, I call it instinct. I know it's not probably the right word, but the instinct or the desire to have sex. So allosexual is the opposite of asexual. It's someone who actually has these sex impulse, has the needs to have sex, has a libido. So anything that's related to the desire, the impulse of having sex falls under the allosexual. Then you have asexual. Also the same for aromantic and aloromantic. They're often grouped together, asexuality and aromantic. Mantic. Yeah. There mm -hmm. you go. <laughs> so both starts with A, but like, we use the same wording for these two. So ALO means it, yes, and A means no. So asexual, no sex. Alosexual, yes, sex. Yeah. Very, very uh, with their proper lingo there. Yeah, yeah. There's like people like learning right now while we're talking. Yeah, good. Excellent. <laughs> it's so fun. That's the point of this, right? Is to educate yes. each other and enthusiastically be like, oh my gosh, let's yeah. talk about it. It's like a bunch of neurodivergent yeah. people in the same room geeking out about exactly. gender and sexuality. Yeah. It's and it's a kind of conversation that is great to have. And it's great to have a safe space to do it. Too. Very important of this space to do it. And I'm very glad that you created that. Kudos to you for that. Aw. Thanks. Why is it important to set aside arguments about queer eligibility or that gatekeeping sort of behavior and build bridges between queer generations? So I personally never had a mentor because all the people died of AIDS. 
Mm-hmm. My people who would have been my mentor died of AIDS. So I want to be there for the younger generation because I didn't have that. I had to seek out the queer story by myself. I didn't have anyone giving me, when I talked about the asexuality culture earlier, that's something that is almost dead. There's almost no one remembers all of this. So by having it kept on record on here, would always have, hey, at least I said all these ace thing will be in this little time capsule forever. We lost so much and I don't want it to keep going. I want our history to be written down. I want our story to be heard. I want people a hundred years, a thousand years from now to be able to hear our story because we have so little stories of the one who came before us. We need to record as much as we can, preserve as much as we can, educate as much as we can, and ensure that the next generation is ready to pick up the fight, to keep on getting the momentum going, get keep on getting rights, keep on helping people, creating those strong communities, maybe with pride, maybe with family, maybe with polycule, no matter the way you see it, It is important to Mm -hmm. surround yourself, not only online, but in real life with people that will understand you and support you. They're so lucky. They're so lucky. I don't know if they realize how lucky they are. I I look at the kids today and I'm just, I'm so happy for them that they don't have to struggle like we did. I would never want them to go through what we went through because why? It's so terrifying to see, for example, Let's backtrack one second. So with the AIDS thing, we have to be very careful with the monkeypox going on right now. Yeah. So that is something that we have to be very careful. The way it has been worded, the way it has been talked about and, hey, push for vaccine. Hey, gay men should go get the vaccine right now and putting the emphasis on queer people having this disease. So this is why it's very important to know, hey, when AIDS happened, what did they do? We need to look at the past to know how we're going to handle the future because it's coming. It is coming and we have to be strong and we have to stand together to defend. And I see this monkeypox things. It has been stressing me a bit, I must admit, because the way it has been worded. And that's why I would really want to see queer people just letting go of all the infighting going on and just focus on supporting and giving the right message on what's going on with the monkeypox right now because it could go really bad real quick yeah not to be too much of a doom person no (laughs) it's important to talk about it's and media that was made about aids is still popular today look at the musical Mm -hmm. rent i just went and saw Mm -hmm. that in person like a month or two ago like it's it's incredible how that play written in I think the nineties is still yes. about thirty years later, still very popular. And so they did a great movie version in two thousand five yeah. too. I love that movie. I have the soundtrack and yeah. about the DVD and I had the, the poster on I my wall as a teenager. Oh, so good. <gasps> what a great show. Oh, I adore rent. <laughs> It took a month to get those songs out of my head after seeing it. Oh, I'll yeah. be back tonight. <laughs> I'll be falling asleep. Once on glory, once on <laughs> yeah. glory, just I'll be like doing the dishes or something, and then I'll be mumbling once on glory. I just, yeah, <laughs> so friends. <laughs> I love it so much. Yes, musicals. Eh? That's just musical of a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, 
Mercedes has a comment in the chat. The way monkeypox is being advertised is solely for men of all sexualities and genders, but not for trans women has been really interesting. Frowny face. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. See, we're already seeing the flaws. This yeah. is why we have to stay on top of it, stay educated about it, and tell your trans friends, go get the vaccine. We have to support each other and ensure that what happened during the AIDS crisis doesn't happen to us again. We have to learn from our mistakes. We do. Yeah, we but do. thank you for pointing that out. That is something that we need to think to. We need to include our transistor in that too. We mm -hmm. do. Yep. So let's see. Is there a specific generation of queer people that you look up to, Nick? I really admire the younger generation personally. I think that it's so great that they're so vocal. They're so... I just admire everything that they keep fighting for. I strongly believe that the youth are going to save us. You go, guys. I will cheer for you. I will help you. I just, I'm so proud of the younger generation. I really am. So I just have about three questions left. Yeah. Is there anything about intergenerational trans connections or asexuality or any of the other things we've discussed today you want to make sure you say that you haven't had a chance to say tattoos for me tattoo yeah. was an exploration of gender euphoria it took me years before i started to get tattoos i was a little chicken about it also grew strongly catholic thigh bodies thigh temple etc tattoos for me were such a great discovery for gender euphoria i started to have tattoos on my arms four years ago and shout out to my tattoo artist, amazing Leo. They are great. We will shout out later their studio. Go see their stuff. They're great. And they really helped me step into owning. It was just, I started to get tattoos just before I got my top surgery, just before I all my surgery. So they really helped me validate my gender and help me power through and accept myself and be ready for my surgery. Really just getting myself prepared for needles and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It was just really, it was really an empowering experiment to get tattoos. And now I'm completely addicted. I adore getting tattoos. So validating. So fun. Oh my gosh. I only have one tattoo. It's the symbol of Leo over my heart and it's got rainbow running through it. Oh, that's amazing. That's I have so a fun. coffin for my top surgery and I have a coffin for my hysterectomy. So nice. one coffin for each organ I lost. <laughs> there you go. Now you really can't have children. People can step off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Still on my to-do list. <laughs> that second yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be... Actually, I'm going to talk a bit more to that when you're going to ask about gender for, yeah, because that was my whole thing was well, Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about it now. Let's share an experience of gender euphoria with the audience. Yeah, so I thought top surgery would be the biggest gender euphoria thing because I've wanted top surgery since I was 13. But for me, it was the first month that I didn't have my period. That was mm -hmm. the biggest gender euphoria I've ever felt in my life. I didn't think it would impact me this much. I hate having periods so much. Mm. It's such, it was hard on my mood. It was on my body. It was hard on everything. First month I didn't have to deal with that was just amazing for me. More than the top surgery. It was just instant relief for me. Yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. I, kicked in, it stopped, and I was like, yes! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. So I've yeah. had an IUD for a couple of years, which has ceased the bleeding part of my period, but I think there's still other symptoms that I've got going on. 
like yeah. mood swings and bloating and mm. like cramps and all kinds of stuff. And I'm very, I'll be very curious to see how that th- piece shifts. I get really dysphoric on Sundays and Mondays, which are the two days before my next T dose. I'm on injections. Yeah. And I'm also curious if that's part of it too. It's like, it's because the estrogen is like fighting back. <laughs> like, no, too much. Slow down. For me, it was hip pain. I used to have like hip pain and my hip would be swollen. I couldn't wear certain pants during that oh, period because my hips were still swollen. Mm. Yeah, it was brutal. My periods were brutal. So when they stopped, I was like, this is the best thing. Literally, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. Wow. Some things to look forward to. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's everyone goes to their own rhythm. Everyone has their own journey, but everyone will get where they want to go. I strongly believe that as long as you work for your goal, you will get where you want. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? If you had a 30 second soapbox moment, what would you make sure people hear? Live and let live, but be supportive. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Let people do what they want, but be there and support them because we're in a society, we're in a community, we live together, we have to support each other, we have to be kind to each other, and we have to make our part to make the world better a little bit at a time. Totally. Thank you so much, Nick, for being my guest today. I don't know if those listening to the podcast will have heard the grins we both had on our face this entire <laughs> conversation, but like my face is starting to hurt the tiniest bit in the best way from smiling this whole time. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure to leave a little bit of time for our cross promo here at the end. So you mentioned your blog and your tattoo artist. Yes. Do you want to say anything more about those two things? As I said, I am obsessed with our flag mean death. I run a blog where I reblog every single art that I can find of our flag mean death. Every single art made be a drawing made on paper to the most rendered picture that took 15 hours. It doesn't matter to me. If it's a fan art of our flag mean death, I would like and reblog it on that blog. And shout out to my tattoo artist, Leo, from the Iris Brass Studio in Victoria, BC. They also have a queer shop the queer collective so if you're around there or if you want to shop on their shop go ahead they're an amazing person and they have they're great artists they made most of my tattoos they helped me step into my power with tattooing and gender euphoria so huge shout out to them i love it thank you so much nick for joining us today here on genderful i just so that folks in the chat know, our guest in two weeks is going to be Christopher Akonomo. I'm pretty sure I'm saying his name incorrectly. <laughs> Please forgive me, Christopher. And we're going to be discussing being a disabled trans artist. Who knows? Maybe there'll be some Our Flag Means Death art that we can have Nick reblog. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. That would- <laughs> So for now, Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Please feel free to join us live on our Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays. Keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio-only versions. As Nefer Kitty says, trans rights are human rights. That's right. <laughs>